Hey everybody, thanks for joining us back here on Bikes and Big Ideas. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister and host of the show, and this week I'm sitting down with fellow Blister reviewers Dylan Wood and Simon Stewart to do a little bit of a recap of some of our personal favorite gear that we've tested so far this year. And we touch on a whole range of stuff from apparel and soft goods to a number of different bikes, the SRAM transmission, including the new GX variant of it that just launched. And we also go on to some sidetracks, including making fun of Dylan for a bit and talking about the World Cup downhill racing thus far and just a bunch more fun shenanigans. So we had a good time recording this one. Think you'll like listening to it. And before we get into it, though, I do want to take a moment to just remind folks about our Blister Plus membership and all of the really good stuff you get with it, including the ability to send us an email and chat about whatever new gear you're looking at or setting up the suspension on your bike or whatever other questions you might have. And probably most importantly, it also gets you zero dollar deductible insurance in the event that you have an accident and hurt yourself on your bike or climbing or skiing or running or a whole bunch of other outdoor activities and not only does that work anywhere in the world and cover you if you have a major accident that's going to cost a ton of money to get the medical care you need but also just means that if you have a small accident and have a more minor nagging injury that you wouldn't otherwise get looked at now you can because it's going to be free so check that out there's a link in the show notes and let's get right to my chat with dylan and simon well simon dylan great to be sitting down and chatting about bikes again i guess our mission today is just doing a bit of a recap of some of our favorite stuff that we've been testing thus far this year. You know, we've been on a big range of different products across a whole lot of categories and um, just going to sort of recap some favorites here. And I think an important caveat to that is that, you know, we've sort of referred to this as gear of the year so far, but in large part here, we're kind of talking about our personal favorite stuff or things that have stood out to us at being particularly good at something in particular. And, that's very different from saying that they are the definitive best things in their category for everyone in all circumstances, because frankly, that kind of categorical best anything doesn't really exist, as we just are banging on about all the time. There are very real trade-offs to almost everything and lots of room for personal preference to creep in and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we're talking about our personal favorites. That's not necessarily to say that this is the right stuff for you, dear listener, but we'll kind of chat about what we've been into and why it has impressed us. So I guess, Dylan, anything you want to kick us off with? Yeah, I've spent the majority of my riding season so far on a bike that just impressed me every time that I got on it. And it was the Revel Ranger, um, sort of a mix between a short travel trail bike and like a full on cross country race bike. Uh, I found it really ideal for, you know, going out there and covering lots of ground or just trying to, you know, pedal hard, get a really good workout in, uh, you know, get up hills fast. But it was also lots of fun on the way down. Um, it was really hard to find its limit in terms of descending 
Uh, it's definitely not a bike that, you know, tricks you and makes you feel like you're riding a trail bike with 150 mils of travel. But for, for the amount of suspension it had 120 up front and 115 in the rear, um, it tackled a bunch of different trails really well, um, uh, while providing that sort of sporty, efficient, lively feel that you'd expect from, you know, a bike in that class. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it helped me sort of make my, uh, cross country race comeback. Um, if we'll, if we'll call it that, uh, you know, back to my high school Nike days, as I'm sure many riders, uh, in my generation have started and yeah, I think it was, yeah, perfect sort of casual race bike for somebody like me who will probably only do one or two of those a year, um, or just for those, you know, longer, you know, kind of Leadville 100 type, type races where, you know, you want, you want a little bit more forgiveness and, you know, definitely don't want to be riding a hardtail for that long. Um, yeah, overall it was, it was just a really good bike for, for, you know, taking that XC kind of attitude to a whole bunch of different trails. Um, and even despite that, it was, it was really hard to, to get it feel out of place. Uh, so I think they, they did a really nice job on that bike. And if I were to build out a quiver, I think that one has uh, made a really good argument for being the shortest travel bike in, in my quiver. So, yeah. Yeah. Right on. Um, and full review of that bike's up on the site. And, uh, I know Luke got at least a ride or two on it and was similarly quite impressed. So, uh, yeah, cool to hear that they kind of got that one. So, right. It's a little bit of a tricky thing to make a bike that's meant to be more composed and more capable and burlier terrain than a true XC race bike and still have it really pedal well. And it's a bit of a tightrope to walk and, uh, Seems like Revel's got a really nice recipe for that sort of a blend that they've hit on. Yeah. Well, uh, Dylan, um, first of all, you're too young for a comeback. <laughs> That's I true. I mean, I haven't. I, I took it was like five years without doing an XC race. You know, that's that's a good amount of time. Well, fair enough. It's a little bit of time, I suppose, for young folks. Yeah, like that's you. like that's like a um, fifth of my life. <laughs> I want to. I want to. I've been on that bike um, just a couple of times, um, and I also really liked it. And I do feel that in that, um, if I'm going to have, which I really do think is a good way to go, uh, like a two bike quiver, a longer travel bike, and then a really short travel bike, that really hits the bullseye because that that travel, you're not competing with something that's got a little bit more travel. Um, it's just sitting by itself in that 115, 120 category. It's perfect for you to have a 160 bike or something a little bit lot bigger in the in the fleet. So. That's where it really notches in nicely for me. If it's that two bike quiver bike, two quiver bike bike quiver. Okay. <laughs> I can't say it apparently. <laughs> two two bike quiver. Yeah, yeah. Luke Luke actually just texted me today. He said, "Yeah, I got a couple rides in on the Ranger. Uh, the next bike I buy is definitely going to be lighter because he came. He was coming from the thirty six pound uh, Comensal Meta TR. So yeah, it's been a it's been a favorite around here for sure." And now that that kind of you, you said Commissal, of course, that brings up the tempo. Yeah, Simon, what do you? I mean, is that really making your list here? What do you got? Oh, I love the tempo. I mean, I I only got a handful of rides before I handed it off to Dylan. Um, but 
it really you know resonated with me absolutely yeah love it want to get it back to get some more rides on it yeah yeah i've been spending a little bit of time on the tempo as well um i'm kind of in the like still figuring out all the settings suspension tire pressure and whatnot sort of dialing things in before getting a really good idea of how it rides but yeah i've been liking that that bike too um so far and yeah i definitely want to get a couple rides on it and then then she's all yours again simon sweet well yeah well maybe hold off on the comparisons there for when you get a little bit more fleshed out take but flash reviews up on the site and um you know good to hear more from you on that when the time comes but before we get too far afield here, something that I think has been on several of our lists for this category that, uh, Dylan, you've been spending time on, on on the Ranger is the new SRAM transmission. And, uh, you know, we've talked about it a lot. Um, we've all been spending a bunch of time on the XO versions of it on a few different bikes now. And I mean, a while back in a reviewer reports episode, I gave what I think was a slightly more tempered bit of excitement about it. And having spent more time with it, I'm kind of only growing more impressed, frankly. Um, you know, I said something before along the lines of, you know, it's a really excellent system, but hasn't necessarily totally transformed the way I ride a mountain biker, you know, made it such that I am unhappy riding earlier systems or whatever. And I still stand by that. That's true. But I also think that that's a pretty brutally high bar to be setting for something. And the transmission's been super impressive in my time on it. And I think that it's only sort of continued to grow on me more because I'm kind of coming around to just how much some of the kind of usability and details that make it just easier to live with longer term really are beneficial. We talked a bunch about how easy it is to install once you kind of get your head around the process. And that's certainly the case, but it's just been dead consistent for me, been really reliable and doing its thing without complaint haven't need to to adjust anything and all that kind of stuff is really worth something and then on top of that when something does go wrong you know for example simon bending a derailleur cage just to throw out a purely hypothetical random thought there uh it's super easy to replace parts the derailleur cage spins off without any tools without having a science experiment of a spring going flying and all that kind of stuff um but all that kind of brings me to the new GX version of the transmission that launched just a couple days ago as of us airing this episode. Uh, and I've been spending a lot of time on that, too. And um, we got a flash review up with some more detailed thoughts. But basically, the short version is that at least when it's relatively new and not too banged up yet, the performance is pretty damn close to indistinguishable from the XO version. The GX kit all in is 500 bucks cheaper than the XO one. So it's still not cheap, but saves a big chunk of money. And it's actually not even that much heavier. The biggest difference is in the cassette, which is 60 or 70 grams or so. But then for the cranks and derailleur and all that kind of stuff, it's only 
15 or 20 grams, something like that. It's almost nothing. So um, the kind of open question at this point for me is if the GX stuff really continues to hold up and continue to work as well as the XO does long term, or if some of the material and design changes that they've made do mean that it wears out faster and that kind of thing. But at least out of the gate, the performance is pretty darn close to as good. And given the cost difference and the fact that there's not that much difference in the weight and all that kind of stuff too, it seems like a pretty strong offering and just a nice update to the whole transmission ecosystem and having that options sweet. Yeah, definitely interested to see how, how everything shakes out further down the road. Um, I thought it was definitely exciting when they brought GX access to the non transmission um, family. And and that was super nice to get in at a lower price point. And yeah, just to reiterate, I'm yeah still a huge fan of transmission. Um, you know, it, I wouldn't say it's changed the way I ride a mountain bike either, but it's definitely changed the way I shift in that when I go from a transmission bike to a bike without transmission, I find myself, crunching gears when I'm, uh, downshifting under load as I've gotten used to on, on the, uh, Ranger with the, with the transmission. And we have a lot of punchy climbs around here. A lot of like one second, you're going down a 30 degree rock slab. The next year, you know, climbing up a technical section of trail. So lots of, lots of dumping of gears around here. And I think it's just excellent for that. You know, where the, where the GX, Access really shined was was in an upgrade path because for six hundred dollars it's a derailleur and um, and a shifter and um, and a charger and that's that's your upgrade if you had standard Eagle on your bike mechanical and um, it makes it begs the question doesn't it if there's going to be a mechanical version of transmission which has you know the same sort of cassette chain chain ring so that the the GX pin can be available as an upgrade path. I mean, it seems a little unlikely given that the transmission cassettes built around the different chain line. I have tried this out of curiosity, and you basically can't put a T-type cassette into a bike that still has the UDH derailleur hanger mounted to it because the cassette rubs on the hanger. Yeah, the shift the shift mapping is where I see where I see a flaw, but I, I can see them using UDH and the uh, that same system on a mechanical derailleur moving forward. Uh, I don't see what the the holdup for that would be. Well, the, the holdup would be that they'd have to go away from the full mount direct mount derailleur for clearance reasons, and then at that point, it's not really transmission anymore you've sort of bit you know it's it's a, a newer generation of kind of regular eagle but it's sort of a fundamentally different product and i i don't really see that happening time will tell we'll find out i guess i'm missing the 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 reason why they couldn't use a full mount on a mechanical system okay yeah that i i don't see any technical reason that wouldn't work but yeah um yeah so i don't know i mean time will tell i guess yeah, but I think about yeah. So far, it's not happened. GX is still all electronic. So, um, you know, whether it'll keep trickling down and how far, I guess we'll find out. But uh, that's what we got for now. Well, I like it. <laughs> I like I like transmission. So, I mean, I think, 
you know, I, I still like, I still, I still fiddle with the with the shifter location quite a bit. I wish it was just a tiny bit lower because um, you got a grip on there. That's a that's a that's a larger diameter grip, and it's kind of like I got to crank my thumb around the corner of it to get up to the upper paddle. So I can see just like it just being a tiny bit, you know, more refined in that area. Yeah, I've had the same thought, especially with the bridge clamp that's connecting it to a brake lever. It's a little easier to get it just a smidge lower with the discrete mount. Um, but it also wouldn't be hard to have either SRAM make an updated version or just have Wolf Tooth or whoever exactly. is, make an aftermarket version that gives some more I'm options. Sure they're for, already on the drawing board. Yeah. I, I bet someone's working on it. So, um, yeah, time will tell on that one, too. But that is a detail that I think could be improved a little bit, but seems like a really easy fix for someone with the CNC mail. Doesn't even have to be SRAM themselves to come out with something that covers that one. So I guess, yeah, we'll find out. Simon, anything that's coming up to you as being a standout thus far? Yeah, I really still love that Fox Union shoe that I had a full review on. I think that's an excellent, excellent shoe. And, um, well, I mean, Jackson Goldstone wears it, so that's it. Enough said, right? Yeah, I mean, has it made you ride like Jackson Goldstone? I assume yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you guys, I mean, that, that run he had without the soul was on another level, right? Holy smokes. Uh, yeah, so that was impressive. And it's been, not to get too far off into the weeds here, but it's been pretty wild that two out of the three men's elite downhill races thus far have been won by first year well, guys moving up from juniors to elite between Jackson and Jordan Williams. So, um, you know, we know the kids were fast. They'd been putting up times that were competitive with the elites last season as juniors, but I wasn't totally convinced that that was going to translate right away in that, you know, for one thing, in a lot of cases, track conditions did change a bit between the juniors and the elites, so it wasn't quite the m most perfectly apples to apples comparison. And also, you know, I think we saw with Valley Hole, for example, it's just a big step up in pressure and the mental aspect of moving to elites, a very real thing to reckon with as well. And, you know, Valley has certainly, after a little bit of figuring things out, really hit her stride and is riding great and winning races too but it doesn't seem like jackson and jordan have really even needed that transition period much at all no, and uh it it's pretty wild i mean look how dominant finn isles was in in juniors and then came into elite and we're just like and how long it's taken him to get there yeah i, I don't know it's um it is it's impressive that's for sure and that that run i on the edge of my seat i thought he was going to crash and then how many times it's just the way he's skipping over the top of those rocks was like a different sport almost i was like wow it's insane anyhow so he wears those shoes yeah okay but why do you like them <laughs> yeah they're, they're making me a much better for <laughs> yeah, the more serious answer now well you know um in the past i've kind of had you know a couple of pairs of shoes one pair of shoes for that sort of long pedal you know slog fest high country ride that i'm on the bike for like six or eight hours it's a stiffer shoe and um, I don't know. Now I'm just like into that shoe for all everything. I ride it on the, the really long all day rides and then, you know, on the technical, you know, more yeah, downhill orientated rides. So 
it's just like it's the it's the one shoe quiver. Ooh. So, I mean, and you know, everyone sort of talks about their products across a wide range of categories as being the most versatile thing in the universe and perfect for everything. But how has Fox actually made something that feels well enough rounded to you to truly cover all the bases that you want it to? Yeah, it's um, it's got it's got the right combination of stiffness. It's light, durable, good fit. Um, that's all it takes, really. I mean, we're not we're not trying to you know sort of reinvent the wheel here. It's still just a um, a shoe, but all the all the details are done right. So it doesn't have me thinking about a different shoe when I'm out riding. I should have put those other shoes on. No, it doesn't happen. So, yeah, kudos to it. It's a great shoe. Um, and I've been got lots and lots of miles in there. I've been beaten up and, you know, the train around where I ride, smashing it into rocks, and it's holding up real well. So, yeah. Awesome. And this is train. a clipless well, shoe, correct? Cool. Yeah. They do make it in a flat shoe as well. Right. So, right. We've not tried the I flat version. That's just as good. So, uh-uh. well, the, eh, the asterisk with a flat shoe is just how critical the rubber compound for the sole is. And, you know, not that it's a hundred percent irrelevant in a clipless shoe, but it's far, far less of a concern. And, you know, maybe the Fox one's great. We just haven't tried it yet. So can't speak to that, but glad you're stoked on the clip one, I guess for another thing that's been coming up to front of mind for me here, um, perhaps in part just because I just wrote the full review of it, but the Yeti SB160 has been enormously impressive. And uh, full review ran last week. You can check that out in the site. It'll be linked in the show notes. But the short version is that despite not having wildly radical geometry or anything that necessarily really leaps off the page on paper, they've just done an especially good job of making a very focused kind of enduro race oriented go fast bike. And it is not what I would call the most versatile 160 ish travel enduro bike. It is a little bit of a handful. If you are trying to just ride it lazily and take things easy and chill out, doesn't really want to do that. But for a bike that just wants to be pushed hard consistently and go really damn fast, it feels particularly well sorted out for that rather specific use case. And I think a lot of it is just that it does a notably good job of being quite sharp handling and relatively nimble for a bike that is still pretty long and pretty slack and pretty stable. And, Part of what makes it a little bit demanding is that for all of that to kind of come together and work, it really does want you to be aggressively weighting the front end and getting over the front of the bike hard pretty much all the time. And if you're starting to get a little lazy and sloppy and not doing that, the front end can wander a little bit. It starts to feel less composed and less forgiving of mistakes and that kind of thing. But if you're keeping your foot on the gas, it is very, very impressive. And so I've had a blast on it. Kind of sad to have seen that one head back out the door and uh, for what it is. And to Yeti's credit too, that is precisely how they talk about it. They're not trying to say, this is the, you know, do it all, jack of all trades for everybody. They are 
describing it very specifically as a hardcore enduro race bike and it's that and it's a really really good one yeah that's good to hear yeah that i feel like the sb 150 like you can't go to an enduro race without seeing one of those things or you know every i feel like at least in colorado like every hard shredding group of friends at least somebody's got an sb 150 in there and I, people loved them. I, I didn't get too much time on the SP 150, uh, just like a couple rides when it first came out and was, was pretty mind blown. Um, because it was pretty, pretty revolutionary, um, when it came out, uh, for sure. And, you know, I got, I got some friends, really incredible rider who was on his third SP 150 frame, I think. And that, that thing just took him to another level for sure. So yeah, good to hear that the new SP 160 is kind of keeping the, the lineage going for sure uh dave did you ever get did you ever get on a 150 yourself briefly i don't have a ton of time on it and it's been quite a while that bike came out in 2018 which i was sort of yeah. surprised by when i was looking it up for the review of the 160 but because there was a lot of, there's quite a few people in fact people that have, have asked me recently that have 150s about upgrading to the 160 and, and um they're still in love with the 150 and you know just want you know, that more detail and what they're going to get themselves into. Um, and don't want to give up a little bit of the versatility perhaps of the 150. Yeah. So I think the short version, again, this is based on a having ridden the 150 for a couple of rides quite a few years ago. So it's definitely not the um, comparison that I feel most confident making really definitively, but my, impression is that the 160 is just a little bit more stable not quite as quick handling and i think particularly in the bigger sizes i'm riding a large in both of those bikes the you know i already said that the 160 sort of wants you to really be paying attention to staying over the front end and weighting the front pretty aggressively but I actually think that that was true to an even greater extent on the 150. And my sort of theory there is that the basically the geometry is not that wildly different between the two for the most part. But the 160 has gone to size specific chain stays, which get longer in the bigger sizes. And the 150 had shorter chain stays for most of the size range. And they didn't vary by size. And so particularly as you work up the size range in the 150, it would at least stand to reason to me that it would just feel like you needed to be more firmly over the front end to kind of balance weight between the two wheels. And on the larges that I was riding, that felt quite pronounced on the 150 and still true of the 160, but mellowed out a little bit. That's great. Simon, any bikes that kind of come to mind for you? We've been dancing around some of the components and stuff, but any standout? Oh, yeah. Well, I, you know, I'm still missing the shuttle LT I've sent back. That one's left a bit of a mark on me for sure. Um, I just, yeah, I really got along well with that bike. Um, you know, I've tested quite a few e-bikes. Um that one just hit the mark for me uh, so far. Yeah, you know, it's like it's become a little bit of the benchmark now that I'm comparing these other bikes to 
that says a lot. Uh, it did everything really well. I love the geometry on it. Uh, the, the rear end was really well sorted. Um, the contention sort of to detail and spec was well thought out. But, you know, the geometry just, you know, I, in my full review, I kind of go back and forth about how Pivot uh, somehow made me on a made me a medium when I've been on a large every bike and pretty much always been a large, but that medium fit was really good, and I really appreciated the higher stack height. We talked about that in the full review. So everything combined on that bike to um, to leave an impression, and um, yeah, I, I miss it. So that's uh, that makes the list for me. Yeah, it's kind of a tidy way to think about which bikes really stand out as which ones you feel like you're missing once they've been sent back. And uh, yeah, for me, SB160 is there for you, the shuttle LT. So kind of a simple way of thinking about it. Well, to talk about something rather different, something that has really stood out to me has been the wolf tooth resolve dropper post. And I'm sort of surprised to have myself saying this because I've long been someone who mostly just wants my dropper post to go up and down when I want it to and has mostly not cared very much about having, you know, the absolute smoothest movement through every bit of the travel and that kind of stuff. I've not really been that swayed by ultra premium dropper posts for the most part. Um, But the wolf tooth has kind of won me over. Um, And a big part of that is the serviceability of it it is just fully user serviceable really easy to work on including tearing the whole cartridge down and replacing the oil and all that which i have done once just to see what the process was like not because it actually needed to be done at all um but they've it's just it's really beautifully built it is way smoother in its movement than the vast majority of posts out there. Again, I don't know that I care that much, but I know there are people who are rate that as a notable concern. And um, as part of that, it does also go through its travel and especially raising goes a good bit quicker than a lot of the other options out there. So if you're someone who's doing a lot of punchy up and down climbs and care about having your posts go up and down real fast, it does that well. It's also got the shortest stack height in terms of kind of the portion that's exposed out of the frame for a given amount of travel than anything I know of. It's sort of edged out the longstanding belt holder there of the one up exactly only by like, but it's not by much. It's no, it's like a couple millimeters. millimeters. It's not a big difference at all, <laughs> but technically yeah. just a little bit shorter though. It does require a little bit more frame insertion than the one up. So sort of, if you're trying to get the absolute most drop for, that you can squeeze in it it is going to depend a little bit on the particulars of your height and frame situation which one of those is going to get you farther and the wolf tooth tops out at 200 millimeters rather than the monster 240 that one up offers so um it's not necessarily definitively the longest or gives you the ability to squeeze in the longest amount of drop but it's on the short list and it's just really beautifully made been super reliable so far really pretty really easy to work on tell me tell me about the um the, the self-bleeding cartridge so i've watched the 
the yeah, the animation they had on the website is pretty clever. Yeah. So basically, the idea there is that it's sort of conceptually similar to the Bike Yoke Revive, which has a self bleeding cartridge also, but unlike the Revive, you don't have to flip a little lever to or turn an Allen head bolt to do the reset. The Wolf Tooth does it automatically at the bottom of its travel when you lower it. And so the idea is basically just that it's it's a little bit like a twin tube damper in that there's sort of there's an IFP that moves around as you raise and lower the post and two different paths for oil to circulate through the whole system. And if a little bit of air gets introduced to the sort of active part of the system that would make it a little spongy at the top of travel, it just self purges that out when you lower the post. And um, have you, have you seen any of that though? Have you seen, have you felt any sponginess in it? I have. So like the revive, the resolve, the wolf tooth post can get a little bit spongy if you leave it, uh, upside down and given the storage for bikes in my house, I am basically hanging all the bikes by the front wheel on the wall. So, um, it does get a little bit spongy if you leave it hung upside down for a while, but has reliably sorted itself out every time I've done that. And that's sort of been a source of irritation for me on review bikes that have come through with, uh, the, bike yoke the revive because you have to do the reset process manually which hardly the end of the world but just doing that at the start of every ride is kind of annoying if you're right if you're storing the bike by hanging it that's sort of a bummer and the resolve just does it itself so um it's been working great and yeah full review of that's coming pretty soon don't have it quite polished up yet but uh it's coming and Short version is I'm a big fan. Awesome. Yeah, bad or non-functional dropper post can really ruin a ride. I haven't had it happen to me in quite some time, um, but I had an old uh, reverb that was just so problematic back in the day. And I'd go out and it like get stuck down, would come up, wouldn't stay down. It's like we, you know, when you have a, a dropper post that works well, you just don't even think about it. And it's such a luxury. Yeah, and that's kind of been part of my take that I'm generally not all that geeked out about fancy dropper posts because in recent years, even a lot of the more affordable options have become quite reliable and generally pretty solid. But the Resolve is kind of making a case for itself for at least some people who you know care about stuff like the fact that it's made in the US and that it's user serviceable and that it really is smoother feeling and kind of just nicer tactically and to use than pretty much everything else out there. So pretty impressive that it's like their first crack at anything like this or any, no suspension background or anything, but here's a, you know, here's a, you know, hydraulically, you know, managed seat post. So it's, um, I was going to say, like, for a first crack of something like this, a lot of these things have, have issues. Um, the company's first go, something like this. It's hard to make this stuff in any sort of numbers, that's for sure. Very much agreed. Like, yeah, it's a very new product category for Wolftooth, and they seem to have really got it right on the first try, which I guess, you know, maybe the fact that it took them until now to wade in just speaks to the 
effort they put into getting everything really dialed before they put it out in the world. But yeah, who knows? It's working really well. And um, I guess actually on that note too, uh, for a less new product category for them, they've got a new remote pro version that I've been testing with the resolve um, that their classic remote has been around for forever and is nice. But the pro versions, a bit of an improvement. The biggest thing is that the standard remote basically has one bolt that attaches the uh, lever paddle itself and the bar clamp. And so if you're taking it on and off, it's kind of fiddly and annoying to get everything lined up and have one bolt that secures the whole deal. The pro version separates those out. So it's a little easier to work on some of the things like the chamfers on the lever paddle have been refined and are a little smoother and feel a little bit nicer. And so it's not the most dramatic overhaul or anything, but it's a nice little update and just is a bit of an improvement over the original one. So been happy with that too. And I guess to kind of bring us home here, one other little piece of gear that I've been especially impressed with has been the Acta trail knee pads. Um, I'm working on a, another knee pad roundup. We got one that we ran last year that has a ton of stuff in it, but there'll be a new 2023 edition with some more stuff coming out and not too much longer here. And those Actas have really stood out as a personal favorite of mine. They're kind of a mid weight trail oriented knee pad with D3O padding, kind of the non-Newtonian foam that firms up when you hit it hard, but it's pretty soft and pliable most of the time. And they're using kind of the general sleeve design with no adjustable straps that a whole lot of knee pads have moved to recently, but they're just a really well refined thought out version of that general category that has a billion options out on the market. And, um, Maybe it's just kind of that they're fit well for me, but they are especially comfortable. They've stayed put really well. They're pretty notably breathable sort of for the level of burliness and protection that they offer. And like like I said, they're kind of a mid-weight pad in that regard. They're definitely not something that I'm, you know, using in the bike park all the time or whatever. They're a lighter duty pad than that and, you know, should be considered accordingly. But... They are especially comfortable and breathe really, really well for what they are. And for kind of a all around pedal use knee pad, I've been a really huge fan of those. I, I mean, cut me if I'm wrong, Dan, but the, the D30 is removable on those. So you, you can wash them with the uh, protection kind of removed. Is that right on that pad? Gotta be honest, don't remember off the top of my head. I think it, I think it is. That's something that caught my eye about that pad just because. I have quite a few pads at home where, um, yeah, they get really smelly because I don't like washing them because a couple of them gone through the wash and then the, the actual protection part hasn't come out the same or got balled up on one side or flipped around in there. So it's nice that that's a removable component so you can, you know, de-stink your pads. Yeah, the pad is removable. And uh, like I said, makes it a lot easier to wash it without damaging the actual pad material. So that's a nice touch. And like I said, been super impressed with those and we'll have a new knee pad roundup coming pretty soon here with a couple other options that I actually really like, but those 
actives have been kind of the particular standout there. There, I'm sure there's a million other things that we could talk about here, but in the interest of kind of keeping this one tight and getting back to things, I think we can wrap it up here. But thank you both for chatting. Fun to get a little bit of a rundown with you as always. And uh, I'm sure we'll do this again sometime soon. Definitely. Thanks for having us. We'll talk again soon. Sounds good. Over and out. All right. That's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. And as per usual, we would very much appreciate you leaving us a rating or review in Apple Podcast to help keep the show going and growing. I'd also like to say thanks to Dylan and Simon for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing the episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we'll be back again next week. Bye, everybody.